You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, good morning. My name is John Robinson. I get to serve as the other pastor here at Liberty Church. It's a, it's a joy to be with you this morning, uh, to open up God's Word, to teach from it. Um, and uh, as we continue on in our series in the book of Acts, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6 this morning. So if you'll turn to Acts chapter 6, we will, uh, we will find ourselves there, starting in verse 1. Uh, if you have those black hardback Bibles, that's going to be on page 914. As we're tracing through this book, um, we are seeing the early church. We're seeing and we're examining how really the Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit, the promise of Christ for the church seeing how he is working uh, in and through God's people. And this morning we're going to be looking at the calling and selecting of the first deacons of the church. So let's turn now to this book that we love, Acts chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven good men, seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Permeus, and Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests came to obedience to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those of Cilicia and of Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face was like that of an angel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, open the eyes of our hearts that we may hear your word and understand 
and do your will. For we, God, are sojourners upon the earth. Hide not your commandments from us, but open our eyes, that we may perceive the wonders of your law. Speak unto us the hidden and secret things of your wisdom. On you do we set our hope, O God, that you shall enlighten our minds and understanding with the light of your knowledge, not only to cherish those things which are written, but to do them. For you are the enlightenment of those who lie in darkness, and from you comes every good deed and every good gift. Amen. Amen. In Acts chapter 6, we see the Holy Spirit at work. And it's important for us to pay attention to the work of the Holy Spirit as we walk through the book of Acts. Because the work of the Holy Spirit is the original motivation that Luke has in his writing. And this is Luke's second book after the, the gospel that he wrote entitled Luke. All right. But his, his point here is to trace how the Holy Spirit is at work in the church. The Holy Spirit being the fulfillment of Christ at his ascension. Saying, I'm going to send to you someone who is greater to do the work. Right? And so we need to ask ourselves the question, where is the Holy Spirit at work as we read through the book of Acts? This is also a great question for us to ask ourselves today. Where is the Holy Spirit at work? We'll get into more of that later. It's additionally important for us as we see um, that this time, Acts chapter 6, the, the, the first church, was not a perfect time. It was not a perfect church. Let's be careful not to romanticize the early church, nor the church in our day either. There is much that the Lord has to do to refine his people. So we'll look this morning at, at three things here in, in chapter 6. We'll look at neglected, the obligation for deacons, selected, the qualifications for deacons, and connected, the application for diaconal ministry. So neglected, selected, connected. It's not quite alliterated, but, you know, we try. Let's get started then. Neglected, the obligation for deacons. Look with me in verse 1. It says this, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. Now there's not a specific time frame. We don't know exactly how long this has been since, um, you know, since the Pentecost. We don't know how long this has been really in relation to where the church is. But we do know that the church is increasing in number. Right? We do see the church increasing. From Pentecost to now, some of the numbers that we do see, we can estimate that on a low end, the church is somewhere around twenty to 25,000 people. Right? There's a couple of guys getting together, hanging out. It's this little band of people in Jerusalem. This is a big group of people. Now, in comparison to the size of Jerusalem, it's still a, a minority of the people in Jerusalem. We know uh, from history, from Josephus, a Jewish historian, that in 70 AD, which is not long after, probably 40 some plus years after uh, where we're at today in our passage, the population of Jerusalem was, was humongous. Uh, there was a war that happened. The, um, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. 
Uh, he records that over 1.1 million people were killed in Jerusalem. And so there was potentially even more people there at this time. And so 20 to 25,000 people is still a, a low end of the estimation of how many people are there. Um, and this text also here in verse 1 refers to the disciples were increasing. All right, the disciples were increasing. Uh, the term Christians was not a, a term that was coined until Acts chapter 11. So there was no distinction between disciples and Christians. There was no distinction in this passage, and there really is no distinction in general. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple. If you are a disciple, you are a Christian. But friends, far be it from us if we take the name of Christ and neglect his cross, or desire his blessing and neglect his suffering. First Christians, we don't just take the name of Christ, we take the cross of Christ with us. Only disciples are Christians, and in here in Acts chapter 6, they are increasing in number. And the increase of number is a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's something to be celebrated, to be uh, rejoicing in. Because these are men and women and children who are moving from death into life. This is a, something of eternal significance of what is happening here. Right? They came, uh, though there is uh, the, the thing to be rejoicing in and what God is doing, but coming with it comes some complications. What we see here in chapter 6, verse 1, is there was a complaint. Right? There was a complaint. There came to be an administrative issue. There was an administrative challenge, most certainly. But this administrative challenge, this grumbling, this complaint of the Hellenists against the Hebrews, right, because their widows were being neglected, um, was not just an administrative issue. What we see here is that a part of the body of Christ was being neglected. Even though we see in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 that they had everything in common, they met together daily, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, and to breaking of bread, there were still some who were left out and who were not being cared for. There was neglect. And when one part of the body suffers, as 1 Corinthians 12 tells us, one part of the body suffers, we all suffer, for we are one body. We need to see here that the Spirit of God, though, is working. We also need to see the, the work of the enemy. Right? To have an awareness to what is happening is not just seeing the Spirit of God, but also like where is their attack coming? Where is their um, opposition coming from? Because this instance here in chapter 6 is actually the third in a triad of oppositions that we see in Acts. In Acts chapter 4, 5, and 6, uh, Luke recounts three oppositions to the early church. And things that could have very well caused destruction, could have caused rejection, could have caused dissension. We see in chapter 4, we see an external persecution of the church. Right, where the church was faced with the decision to either keep preaching the gospel or to remain silent as the Sanhedrin would have them remain silent. Thankfully, we see boldness arise through the Holy Spirit for them to continue preaching the good news. 
The second in this triad of opposition happened, and we covered last week. It was an, an internal discord that, they, that faced the church. It was an internal discord of Ananias and Sapphira lying to God and being struck down dead. This could have caused dissension. This could have caused more grumbling. But what we see is the Spirit of God working in His church, and the number of people continued to increase after both of these instances. And so we rejoice, and we find ourselves here now with another internal issue. You see, the church will always face opposition. The church will always face opposition to the mission of God, especially when it is going in the right direction. These oppositions can be internal or external. They're oppositions nonetheless. External oppositions feel a little bit easier to deal with, if I can be completely honest. They bring about a sense of unity inside of the body of Christ. Togetherness towards a common opposition. Yet sometimes they are internal, which is where we find ourselves today. Internal oppositions are much harder and usually can result in division. This internal opposition, though, sometimes can be good. It can identify evil intentions. It can... um, It can reveal things that need to be dealt with. And here, what we have in Acts chapter 6 is something that needs to be dealt with, the neglect of certain people inside of the body of Christ. It is good for us to pray for discernment as God's people to tell the difference between external and internal oppositions. But we should also be very slow to divide over things. Be very quick to call out our own sin and deal with it, and ask for repentance and faith. So here in chapter 6, we have this internal opposition to the church, something that could have caused uh, the church to suffer, suffer greatly. So this internal issue was a mistreatment or neglect of non-native Jewish widows. The complaint more accurately translated, where it says there was a complaint in verse 1 that arose. It says, actually, the, that translated into complaint is the word grumbling. There was grumbling. There was murmuring. So always start with murmuring. It's always a murmuring, right? But it was, there was a complaint from the Hellenists, those who uh, were from outside of Jerusalem, those who would find themselves having lived in uh, the Mediterranean area, typically, possibly Iraq, modern-day Turkey, Iran, somewhere outside of Jerusalem, they would come, and they came for Pentecost. They came for Pentecost, and then they found themselves there being uh, compelled by the gospel of Jesus Christ to stay and, and be a part of this community, what God is doing. And so they find themselves there. People who are Hellenists are people who have been influenced greatly by Greek culture. Hellenization happened around 325 B.C., when Rome started to take over the known world at the time. And so this influence uh, really changed some of the dynamics. And, and they would have grown up as, as Jewish people, not in Jerusalem. They would have spoken Greek. They would have had Greek customs and Greek uh, personalities. They would have been very influenced by this Hellenization. And so coming down to Jerusalem, now living in Jerusalem, they came to a place that was not native to them. Although the cultures... Uh, From a Jewish perspective, the cultures were the same. 
they were not native speakers. They were not there. And so these, these, uh, these widows were there, um, and maybe the issue was translation, right? Maybe the issue was, was their ability to speak the native language, and that was why they were being neglected. But uh, it could have been other things. It could have been the fact that they were outsiders coming in, and they were neglected. Maybe it was a cultural issue that they were experiencing. The bottom line is that it was either poor administration or poor supervision on the church's part to care for these who needed care. And this wasn't the only neglect that was happening here in chapter 6. As a result of the mistreatment of this group of people, this part of the body of Christ, the apostles, the remaining 11 from Jesus' inner circle of 11 or 12, and Matthias, or Matthias, were dealing with some of the effects of this as well. No doubt, even some of the apostles themselves were beginning to help distribute either foods or funds. We're not sure exactly what was happening at the tables. Like the tables were either distributing uh, monetary funds to people for people to, to go and buy their own food, or they were distributing food itself. All right, but no doubt, some of them were there and beginning to serve and be a part of this. But this, as we see, was not the solution either. It was not the solution either. In, in verse 2, they summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. This was not the solution. Translated, it is not right, is another way of saying that it was, this would not be acceptable to God if we were to tend to the tables instead of preaching the word of God. For the church, there must be a balance of word and deed. To neglect deed, right, the people, their needs, this is not acceptable in the eyes of God. It comes with its own set of theological error, where we're more concerned about what we are doing over how it impacts the, the, uh, the world around us. This is the evidential error espoused of the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. They're concerned. Their theology is really, really good, really solid theology. They're doing well, but they have forgotten their first love. Additionally, the neglect of the word, right, is the other ditch on the other side of the road where the church is more concerned about what the world thinks of them and who uh, it's impacting rather than what their true primary motivation for those things actually are, which is Jesus Christ, namely the gospel, right? Doing all of the things that Christ would have them do without Christ himself. This is the error on the other side. Both ditches on either side of the road cause us as the church to fall into error. Both ditches elevate one thing over the other, and therefore they miss the point altogether. Both churches in Revelation were in error of losing their first love for separate reasons. And the apostles here in Acts see the need for both. They see the need to keep the car between the lines. But there is some swerving happening. Right? There's some swerving happening with the church early on. It's what happens when you, start having, you have a car full of kids and more kids start getting in and legs and arms are everywhere. Snacks are being thrown. All of a sudden there's a ball that gets thrown up to the front seat and it rolls underneath the brake pedal. This is an actual thing that happened and it's very terrifying. 
But this is what happens. This is messy, right? It's noisy. And then the older they get, the more they smell. This is the church, and it's glorious. And it's beautiful. Right? But it's not easy. It's complicated. It's complex. But may we as the church have an awareness, right? And care for and, and a need when we see a part of our body being neglected to care for them, to come alongside them, to serve them. The apostles' response in verse 2, although it can be misconstrued, right? The apostles' response saying basically it is not right for us. Let's not look at this from a a perspective that the apostles themselves were arrogant and they were not willing to uh, serve people. They served people constantly and consistently. We see that throughout Scripture. But what we are seeing here is they also knew their role. And so needing more people to step up and needing more people to lead was a necessary piece for, for Christ's church to accomplish its purpose here on the earth. They knew where their giftedness was, they knew where their calling was, and they needed more men and women to step up and lead and serve. So let's look at how, how they did that in our second point this morning, selected the qualifications of deacons. So the apostles realize that they need a need, they have a need, and they need someone to fill that need. And they said, select from among you, right, verse 3, select brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit. The apostles realized that the problem was a church problem. And so they needed it to be a church solution. Therefore, they called the first church business meeting, which we all get really excited about. I know I do. But they called the first church business meeting. All right? The proposal on the table in verse 3 here is that they needed to select seven men from among them. All right? who will be approved by the apostles. These needed to have a good reputation, who were filled with the Holy Spirit and have a wisdom. And the Holy Spirit here is giving wisdom to the apostles for them to identify those whom He had already been working in. It wasn't just an eeny, meeny, miny, mo situation. This was something where they said, look from among you and see where the Spirit of God is moving and who the Spirit of God is moving in and select them. Right? It's important here for Christians to see that this is how we should pray. And what we should do is we should be asking God, where are you moving? How are you moving? Let me come alongside you in what you are doing, Holy Spirit. And so it's important for us to see this and model this and understand this. To ask for discernment. Right? To, to, for us to to follow where the Holy Spirit is leading. And we need that discern- they needed the discernment then, and they needed- we need the discernment even now, today. And so they selected seven men. Seven men whom the Spirit was already at work in. Seven men who uh, were, they had good reputations. They were filled with wisdom. This may have been the shortest church business meeting ever on record. Right? And also potentially the most productive Seven men were selected. They were put into uh, this role as deacon. Right? These seven men were called to serve the church. 
They're not officially called deacon until later. We see Paul mention uh, the, the office of deacon in, in Philippians. We see him also talk about the qualifications of deacon in 1 Timothy chapter 3. The word deacon, though, here is, is used 31 times in the New Testament. 27 of those times, it's translated into the word servant. And only four is it translated into the word deacon. Because deacons truly are servants for the church. They're called out men of good repute, full of the Spirit, as 1 Timothy 3 says. Full of wisdom. They begin to serve the church. Right? The qualifications of deacons, um, as, first, as Paul says in 1 Timothy, are that, that deacons would, would be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to too much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must uphold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must be people who are tested and proved blameless. Diaconal ministry has been around since the early church. It's also uh, it's, it's one of the longest lasting ministries of the church. They didn't have like a kids program necessarily back then. Right? But they did have diaconal ministry. And our deacons today are held to the same standard that Paul would talk about in 1 Timothy 3 and what we see here in Acts chapter 6. You see, the, the deacons here at Liberty Church take vows. They take vows because we believe that they are servants who serve you. They vow to serve the church. These vows consist of, uh, do you covenant to lovingly serve the people of Liberty Church as we seek to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in our neighborhoods and in the Harrisburg region? Do you covenant to pursue a lifestyle of worship as one who is being freed from slavery of sin through Jesus Christ? And do you promise to strive to set an example of being a follower of Jesus Christ to others in this community, both publicly and privately? Do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, unity, and edification of the church? And do you promise to submit yourselves to the elders out of reverence for Christ and to be accountable to them? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the beliefs and teachings of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the scriptures? And do you further promise that at any time you find yourself out of accord with that, that you would uh, let us know, would you tell us, do you covenant to pursue a life of mercy, seeking to both serve the people in this church and the people of our neighborhoods with the same love and grace and mercy that you yourself have received from Jesus? Do you covenant to help the church to become prepared and equipped to pursue the same lifestyle of mercy? Do you covenant to do your best to see that your brothers and sisters are helped in times of need? Do you covenant to pray for the church regularly, boldly, and persistently? Do you accept the role of deacon in this church and remember that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve? Promise to faithfully perform all these duties, therefore, and to endeavor by the grace of God to lovingly serve the men, women, and children of this church, seeking their spiritual and physical care in Christ. These are the eight vows that, that the deacons here in at Liberty Church have taken for you. They are modeled after the, the lifestyle of service because deacons are servants for the church. They serve the church and vow to uphold their service to you. I can't imagine where we would be without our diaconal ministry. 
I believe we would most certainly suffer. There would be those among us in our church who would be neglected in our community. Would, I think we, we would see a huge hit uh, if our diaconal ministry was not in place with our ministry partners. So thanks be to God that he has established this role in the church. The church needs leaders. The church needs servants. The church needs deacons. And they need men and women to step into these roles. In the same way back in Exodus chapter 18 when Jethro told Moses, you need help. The church needs men and women to step into these roles, to raise up leaders for the people of Israel. Right? And it's true here in Acts chapter 6 it is as well. And it is good and right, friends, that we would pursue a lifestyle where people would look at us and go, a person is a person of service. They're modeling Christ. They're modeling what Christ has set before us as, as a servant to, to serve the people of God. That men and women would look at you and say, a person should be a deacon. They're serving the church because these people were already doing that. These men were already doing that in, church, in, in chapter 6. So deacons carry with them this great res- responsibility and task to serve. But they, they also do something else. They connect. And so let's look finally at connected, the application for diaconal ministry. Where we ask really the question, what do deacons do? And we see here in Acts chapter 6 that deacons serve. And they do serve with some administrative skill. There's a necessity for some administrative oversight here. People were being neglected. So to, to do that, they would, need some, uh, they would need some administrative abilities. Uh, new people were coming in constantly. You know, if they were going to continue doing what they were doing, meeting together, meeting in homes and breaking bread, that would need to have some uh, administrative uh, components to it. But they also connected with other people. They served the needs of those who are new and needed to get connected. They stepped into places in the community and, and connected them with other ministries. We do that here. Our deacons connect people with other ministries locally. They help advocate for ministries that are in our community that will bring Christians into the places where they themselves can serve and be a light. Our deacons do a great job of doing this. Our ministry partners, New Hope, Peace Promise, Bethesda Mission, and Capital Area Pregnancy Center um, continue to ask for our help, knowing that our deacons uh, continue to equip and rally people around these ministries. They continually advocate for these ministries. You'll see um, Steve Ziola. If you've ever come to a Liberty 101, you'll see, you'll see Steve Ziola like, over there in the corner ready to sign you up for New Hope. He is poised, and he pounces like a tiger. Right? He's ready, which is why every Thursday night, New Hope is staffed because of the people of Liberty Church, because Steve Ziola is one of the guys who is advocating constantly for us to serve the people in our community there. They also connect new people with existing groups. The early church had a lot of home meetings, so they would need people to help them get connected. They were connectors of people who were willing and able to get new folks connected with existing community groups. Deacons serve by being a welcoming people. We have some of the the, the warmest and kindest people serving as deacons here at Liberty. They also connect people with resources. 
What we see here in the early church in, in, in chapter 6 is that they were the ones who were going to connect people with needed resources. The, the Hellenistic widows needed resources. They needed money or food, right? And so they connected them with that. Deacons connect people with resources, whether that's food or finances or other needs, to, to be served through them. The resources that the church provides is, is distributed with wise and caring hands. Sometimes that means that people don't get everything that they want, but it does mean that they get everything that they need. And I'm personally thankful for the deacons here at Liberty. A year ago, this, this thing happened, right? Uh, a global pandemic. You may remember it. The deacons jumped into serving our church so well. They served our community. They rallied together and they made sure that everyone was accounted for. They served the needs of people who were shut in, who were, who were uh, more susceptible to COVID. They assisted in financial needs, right? For food insecurity and, and so much more. And they did that without blinking. It was, it was instinctive for them to do that. They serve our church so well. Our deacons, as Matt said earlier, also help with our Easter outreach efforts, which you can find more about out, and I would encourage you to find more about out through our Lent page on our website. If you have any questions, get in touch with our deacons. Their challenge to us as the church is that 100 celebrations of the resurrection. That's their challenge. That's the way they are seeing us as a church body needing to respond to the gospel. So they connect people with resources they connect people with God. Primarily, one of the ways that they do this is they imitate Christ. Our deacons imitate Christ. As the chief servant, they imitate Christ. They follow Christ's example. And they connect people with God. We see that happening in Acts chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, which we'll get more into next week as we start to see Stephen, a deacon, being a, a bold proclaimer of the gospel in and amongst this, this, this outside um, persecution. So we see that. We see what he does. In, in verse 10, right, it says this. In verse 10, it says, But those who would oppose him could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And deacons do that. Christians do that. We speak with wisdom and we speak with the spirit. We speak with confidence in the gospel. The diaconal ministry is a ministry that is vital to the health of the church. As the word of God does and will do, it will continue to increase. Skeptics will become brothers. We see here in verse 7, the priests became those who became obedient to the faith. Right? There will be a need for more people to connect with Christ and His church. Widows and orphans will need care. There will be need for more pastors, church planters, more deacons, more children's volunteers. These are good problems for the church to have. Problems that God has already provided a solution for. Because Christ is the solution. His Word is the equipping. His Spirit is the guide. And we follow the example of Christ as deacons set before us, they follow Christ because Christ came not to be served, but to serve. 
Christians are a serving people because we imitate Christ in that. Be ready to serve. Be willing to serve, church. Be willing to step into places. Pray for the boldness that you need to step into that. The church will always continue to face challenges. Connection is not without its challenges. Ministry, like I said, is messy. People and situations can be complex. So we pray. We pray for wisdom to be, to be open, to be willing to be used by God. Greg and Jen Lowe, Dan Kern, Terry Fisher, Colin Julius, Steve and Sandy Ziola serve us well as deacons at Liberty Church. We put them before you as men and women to emulate, to pray for, to encourage, to support, to team up with, to offer them your time, talents, and treasures for the furthering of the kingdom. And we ask, as we started this morning out, that we would continue to ask God, where are you at work? Asking our deacons, where is God at work? Where is the Spirit of God at work? And so we, we desire to come along with the Holy Spirit and His work in our community and in our region. And so we, we pray for that. We pray for that. We ask you to pray for that. Let's even pray for that now as we close out our time. Father, we are grateful for the Holy Spirit, His work in our region, His work throughout history. Lord, lead us and guide us. May we, as your people, imitate Christ. May we imitate Christ as those who serve, as those who serve your church and those who serve our community. God, in both ways and in both places, that the word of God may increase. The people would know that we are Christians by the way we love one another, by the way we serve one another, God, would, would your word increase even now, God, that we would see men and women and children come to faith in Christ, taking them from death to life. God, would you do that even now? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.